0: Welcome to the Healthy Human Revolution Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and I'm so excited to have Dr. Yami. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Yes, it's it's a blast to have you on. I remember from the first time I met you years ago, and just you just have this exciting and energetic personality. It's so much fun to talk to you, and I can't wait to hear about your book and everything that you're doing. So, let's just dive in. Let's first of all, just tell little people a little bit about you, where your practice is and kind of how you got started with writing your book, which is a really cool topic.
1: Sure. Well, I am a primary care pediatrician and I own my own practice here in Yakima, Washington, which is central Washington. And what I like to describe it as is I practice primary care pediatrics with a lifestyle medicine emphasis because I started my career in a community health center which was awesome and i got lots of great mentorship and lots of great experience but what i found lacking is i just didn't have time to talk to patients about lifestyle medicine and i knew that that was like the key like the foundation of health and so i didn't feel like i was helping patients the way i wanted to i didn't feel like i was living up to the full potential of a physician And so that's why I started my own practice so that I could have time to actually counsel patients about diet and movement and sleep, which you know is a huge thing that is important for babies all the way through the end of life. So now I get to do that. I'm also a certified health and wellness coach, which has brought in a whole nother component to my career and my practice. I see a whole different uh, way of talking to patients and their families. And so I think that that has been very enriching as well. But the reason I wrote my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, is because even though I am an expert in plant-based nutrition, and I talk a lot about diet and nutrition, and I talk to parents about feeding their kids, I felt like there was a, a piece missing when it comes to feeding our children and feeding ourselves, and that is learning to tune into our bodies, letting go of the whole diet culture, diet mentality, and also understanding a little bit more about health at every size. And so that's why I felt inspired to write my book, and it really just helps guide parents through how to feed their children, what to feed their children, but also some lifestyle medicine principles about stress and exercise and sleep. And so, yeah, it's a
0: little guide for that. Awesome. So what do you mean by intuitive eating? The What does that mean? Because intuitively, someone might want to eat a hamburger or french fries or chips all the time. Where does the where do you intuitively eat healthy, I guess? How does that work? Yeah. So intuitive
1: eating is very misinterpreted that way. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's a concept and a phrase that was coined by two dietitians. And they actually came up with this a long time ago, like in the 80s, and they mm-hmm. wrote their book in the 90s, which is entitled Intuitive Eating. So they are the grandmothers of this whole movement. And it doesn't mean intuitive eating doesn't mean that you intuitively know what to eat based upon like what nutrients you need and stuff like that, even though they have done some super fascinating studies on children and what they choose to eat. If they're given like no cues, it's Mm. super fascinating, but that's not really what it means. What intuitive eating means is that you give yourself permission to eat you honor your hunger, you honor your satiety, and you let go of all of these external cues and external pressures to eat a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the reason this was so needed then, and especially now, is because we've started to believe that we can't trust our own bodies, Mm -hmm. that we need a menu plan, or we need some kind of calorie counting, or we need to follow macro counting. And if we don't do that, we are just inherently going to overeat or be wrong or be bad or be the wrong size or whatever. And so really what intuitive eating is and what these authors, um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, they made 10 principles for this to help guide people through relearning intuitive eating, because children are born intuitive eaters. They already know Mm. when to eat and when to stop eating, but parents tend to not trust that, especially starting around toddlerhood. The parents are like, no, I think you need to eat more. You didn't eat enough. So eat more. And actually you need to eat this and not that. And so then we start pressuring our kids that we find that by the time that they're five, they've lost that connection to their body. So intuitive Mm. eating tends to start dropping off around age five because we've, about four years, (laughs) pressure them either to eat more or to eat less. We're just like micromanaging and controlling their eating. So Mm. when it comes to the parents perspective, and in my book, I speak directly to parents, I want them to start trusting their child. Now, this doesn't mean that you just have a household full of like Doritos and goldfish crackers. I, I pick on goldfish crackers so bad. Hopefully they don't come after me someday, but it, that's not what that means. It means you as a parent, you're still responsible for choosing the health promoting foods. It's still your role to decide what, when, and where, mm-hmm. but then you step back, your job is done. And then it It belongs to your child to decide if, and how much, Mm. because often what parents do is they cross over into the autonomy of the child and say, no, you need to eat more. You need to clean your plate. You need to eat all your broccoli before you get dessert, all of this. And then that interferes with the intuitive, the natural intuition that the child has.
0: Uh, that's very, very important because that actually will carry over into adulthood, right? Mm-hmm. All of those habits, those thoughts, those beliefs that you're basically creating, it's, it's a belief mode, at least in, with my experience with my adult patients, um, very same thing. They'll, we'll start talking and trying to dig deeper into why they keep eating beyond satiety, right? Satiety, they're, they're not hungry, but they keep eating. And It's like, well, it's just like this drive when I was a kid, my parents always said this or you know, my parents always did this or you know there's always some experience when they're younger. So if you're a parent and you've moved into that um, you know, kind of crossed into that that gray zone of, you know, not allowing your child to uh, understand their own intuitive com- concepts of eating and when they're full and things like that, how do we go backwards? Like what is what is the road back to allowing them to, define that for themselves? Well, the good news is, is that no matter how long you haven't been an intuitive
1: eater, you can relearn how to be an intuitive eater. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing is for parents themselves to assess, am I listening to my body? Do I trust my body? Or am I on a diet? Am I counting my macros? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, first of all, is the parent to learn, do they know how to eat intuitively? Mm -hmm. And if not, then maybe for them to start practicing those principles. And then the second thing is, is to just start letting go of the control that they have over how much their child eats. Mm -hmm. It takes practice. Nobody is perfect. I can't even say I'm perfect because I do have one child who's more selective, he's leaner, he's smaller, so he doesn't need as much energy. But in my mom brain, sometimes when he doesn't, he has one bite, you sometimes go into freak out mode thinking something bad's going to happen. And so I know that Mm -hmm. parents have this, but it's really about taking a deep breath, biting your tongue, and then Mm -hmm. just letting it be. And usually what happens the next meal or the next day or something, They will regulate that's because that's what the human body does the human body knows how to regulate its intake for what it needs for its energy needs and those kinds of things. So we just have to learn how to trust. So it's just Mm -hmm. step by step, taking a step back, letting the child have control over that aspect of their eating and it's not like you're letting control letting go of control of everything because you're still deciding what you're going to serve the child that's very very important you don't want the child to cross over into your autonomy either so i don't recommend this short order cook thing where the child's like nope i don't want this i want you to make me a grilled cheese that's not their job your job is to decide what you're going to feed them their job is to decide if and how much they're going to eat of that food
0: right absolutely so when i was in medical school with three little kids and I was raised this way too, actually. My parents were just too busy to be busy into my business. Other, yeah. On occasion, you know, they might say something like, why don't you eat your stewed tomatoes out of this, you know, whatever. I was like, because I just don't like them. But, um, you know, when growing, if you're a medical student, you have three kids and they're whatever, you're like, I fix one meal. It's a healthy meal. It's set in front of you. If you don't eat, you'll eat tomorrow. I know you're not going to allow yourself to starve. <laughs> and that worked out great. These kids are healthy, lean, all plant based eaters. And honestly, they're not picky. So yeah. um, and they're in their 20s. Now my oldest will be 27 in like in a month. So wow. you know, that that is the the amazing thing about allowing your child to pick it. And honestly, I was just forced into this. <laughs> there was, I'm sure when they were little, and I had more time, I was a little bit more directive. But uh, it's a it's a, exactly right. It's so right. But it's, it's funny. But now we use it's like being mindful of your eating. It's just a mindful eating practice how do you, as adults, right? So what do you, I know how I work with my patients, but what are some of your advice to parents when you're asking them to go back into more intuitive eating? Is there anything that you've learned or maybe those 10 principles? What, how can we start learning ourselves? Cause we have so much going on here. The talk between our ears is just like, ah, you know? Yes. So. <laughs>
1: well, and this might be a little controversial for some people, but I think that the number one, first thing you have to do in order to relearn intuitive eating is to stop trying to control your body size. Mm. And so this is going to be hard for some people to hear, but really dieting is incompatible with intuitive eating. It's just you can't do both. And some people want to try to do both, but mm. it it just is impossible. It won't work. Right. So you have to approach intuitive eating like a wellness or a well-being habit. You cannot approach it as a weight loss tool. You cannot see it that way. And especially for people that have been dieting for decades, like I did and yo-yo dieting and going on and off bad diets, they approach intuitive eating as another diet and it's not going to work that way. In order to tune into your body and give it what it needs, you have to trust yourself. And usually whenever we're trying to restrict calories for the purpose of weight loss, which is what I call a diet, it interferes with that ability to trust ourselves. Because really there's going to be some days where you really truly are hungrier. But if you are trying to restrict your calories, you're going to ignore that and eat a smaller amount. And so your primitive brain is going to take over. You might end up binging later, call yourself a food addict eventually, but really what's happening is that you're trying to restrict your calories. So that's the very first principle. And I think the next thing is just really being open, being open-minded and exploring. And I think what also is really hard for people, especially if they dieted for a long, long time is not seeing foods as good or bad and not having any food off limits. Now I'm also vegan. So they've done studies to show that people that don't eat animal products for the purpose of veganism, or because of some other values and principles they hold, it doesn't seem to cause any um, psychological trauma as far as like wanting to Binge on those foods or anything like that. It, it it really helps. So for those people that don't eat animal products, because for that reason they don't have this unnatural weird relationship with animal products. Mm. For some people that may have restricted animal products solely for the purpose of weight loss or dieting, they may still have that pull or allure to those foods or whatever food. I'm just saying that as an example, but. It could be that you think that all bread is bad or you think that all cookies are bad. And so because of that, you just want that thing. And so whenever you get one cookie, you want to eat all the cookies and you don't want to stop. So whenever you start neutralizing foods and instead paying attention to how it feels inside your body, then you can develop a new relationship with food that's healthier for you. So I have this story with Halloween candy. So, you know, I was like, I said, I spent decades dieting. And so I had a very poor body image, a very uh, disordered relationship with food. I definitely was an extreme binge eater for a long time. I labeled myself a food addict. I no longer believe that that's the case. Um, so I had this problem with Halloween candy where I couldn't just have one piece. And then I would just end up eating all this Halloween candy and feeling awful and bull and all this. So finally, when I neutralized Halloween candy and said, okay, I can eat Halloween candy if I wanted to. And I didn't think of Halloween candy as this bad thing. I realized I do not like Halloween candy. Halloween candy (laughs) does not taste good to me. Halloween candy tastes like gross processed, plasticky stuff. So now there could be like a pile of Halloween candy on the table. And I, I have zero pool to it. Mm. And if I really want a good piece of chocolate, I'm going to get myself a high quality vegan, dark chocolate and savor it and one piece and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But before, when I was seeing it as a bad thing and trying to control my weight and all of this, it it was just a disaster. So Mm -hmm. these are, these are principles that can take years for people to explore and discover and develop a real, a new relationship with food, but it's a lot easier. If we don't start the cycle to begin with, which is why I'm talking to parents about their own children, Mm. not putting their kids on a diet, not restricting food, Mm. serving good, wholesome, whole plant foods as much as possible, but let's, let's talk about food a little bit differently than we have been so that we can all learn how to have an appropriate relationship with food and not this disordered push pull sort of thing. Mm
0: -hmm. So what do you do? I mean, so there are some tougher cases, right? So there's maybe some young women with teenagers who have like a body image shaming issue and that relationship with food, is not just even with food, but it's all a lot of external. How do you begin to build a health relationship with food with a child that's suffering in their teens? I mean, how would you begin that process? Well, I
1: talk about setting a positive environment. And what I mean by that is not only what foods we have available in the house. So Mm. as much as possible, let's have an abundance of whole plant foods available because for teenagers, we know, and the studies show, that they will eat what's convenient.
0: They don't really want to spend a lot
1: of time cooking, you know, teens, they don't have time for that. So if they just have a bag of chips there, they're gonna eat it just because it's convenient, you know? So Mm -hmm. have the vegetables cut up, have the fruit cut up, have the the meals pre-made so that they can just put things together very quickly. So that's Mm -hmm. one principle. But the other principle of a positive environment is what we, what concepts, what words, what images, we put into our household. So, if mom's going around talking about how big her butt is or how she needs to lose weight or how she's disgusted with her body, even if she's not saying that to her children, that yeah. belief gets passed down. If in the coffee table it's all diet magazines, lose 10 pounds fast, you know, those kinds of things. If we're if our programming is all centered on a specific body type, If that's all we talk about, then these beliefs get passed down to our children. Absolutely. We live in a weight centric culture, we do. And so there is the thin ideal, it's glorified, it's associated with health, even when sometimes that there's thin people that are not healthy, they are seen as healthy, larger bodied people are seen as unhealthy, we live in that culture. So in our households, we have to talk about those things, we have to talk Mm -hmm. about how the size of our body is not the most important thing, the function of our body. How we feel, what we can do with it, the, the sports we can do, the activities that we can do. That really is the most important thing. So just refocus the conversation of function and well being rather than body size. And also get those teens off social media. I'm sure you agree with this too, but social media is a trap when it comes to body image. It increases anxiety. It increases depression. It, there's like no way around it. The mm-hmm. studies show that when teens are on social media, especially the visually focused ones like Instagram, I can't even imagine if I had TikTok when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. I, I would have just, I mean, I already had depression when I was a teenager. It would have been <laughs> way worse, you know? Right. So right. I think just think about those things and know that, yeah, we live in the culture, that's what they value. Analyze or evaluate what other family members are saying. That can be tough. Yeah. Like, what are what are the other caregivers saying to the child about their size? Grandparents, yeah. other well-meaning family members, and stand up for that. Right. You know.
0: Right. That's a really good question um, or thought. I mean, when you're thinking about other members too, not just you know mom um, or the parents, but maybe the grandparents or siblings to one another, friends. Yeah. Um, so when you have a mom and or just had a baby and stuff, so how do you set up this environment? Like, what would you encourage parents to do from the get-go? If we have someone who's just starting or they have little ones and they're wanting to get this started, what's the best way for them to learn how to set up this, this really constructive environment?
1: So the first thing is
0: whole plant foods.
1: (laughs) I can't, I can't neglect that the sooner, the better during pregnancy even, because that's going to influence the taste preferences of your child. Mm. Keep eating them during pregnancy, during breastfeeding, and just keep serving them. Once you start uh, feeding your child complimentary foods, get those greens in there, get those vegetables (laughs) in there. And then follow that division of responsibility. So a division of responsibilities was created by Ellen Satter. So that's what I was mentioning earlier. The parent decides what, when, and where. What are you going to feed the child? When, mm-hmm. where. You do want to have a flexible structure. I don't recommend just letting kids graze all day. That mm-hmm. isn't supportive of intuitive eating because then when they come to the table, they're not necessarily hungry. You know, you're mm-hmm. they've been eating all day long, you know? Gotcha. So, and then where the best thing obviously is sitting down in a relaxed fashion at the table, at the kitchen bar, whatever. You don't want to be eating on the run, eating while they're playing, while they're distracted. You want to be able to have mindfulness for your eating and you want to also role model that. So continue Mm. yourself to be a role model, eat your veggies, sit at the table and eat your food rather than eating while you're on the computer or watching TV, those kinds of things. Mm. And so that part is the parent's role and then the child's role is to decide if and how much. And we know this when our children are babies because we put them to the breast, they eat, they stop. Oh, they're done. We put them down, we change their diaper, whatever. And it seems like, okay, yeah, they know how much to, to eat. But once they become toddlers, Because now their main role is to explore their environment and to run around and to play and they just have small amounts at dinner, then we start losing that trust, they must not be eating enough, even though the pediatrician or the the doctor keeps telling you they're growing fine as parents, Mm -hmm. we're getting nervous in our head because we Mm -hmm. see these small amounts that they eat. And then that's when we start crossing over into their autonomy. So if you just maintain that and you keep practicing it, knowing that you're not going to be perfect. So I'm a parent too. I know that sometimes I look at my, my younger one, he like didn't touch any of these broccoli. And I'm like, really again, you know, so I know it happens. Okay. But just do your best. And the most you can follow that division of responsibilities, you role model you eating your whole plant foods, eating intuitively being mindful about your eating, and also respecting and accepting your body as it is, and looking more at a well-being journey, along with your habits and behaviors, rather than eating to control your body size. And I think if you just keep doing those things, you're going to support intuitive eating in your child, because remember, they're born that way. You mm-hmm. just want to continue it. It's a little yeah. bit different once your child has unlearned it, or as an adult, you've unlearned it, but it's never impossible. So it's, it's mm-hmm. never about giving up hope.
0: No, I think that's great. And so, I mean, and, you know, I have, several stories of children and families when they switch to a plant-based diet and allowing the child to kind of learn for example there's one in particular that I'm thinking of um, and when they move to a plant-based diet all the extra fiber caused a lot of stomach issues we had that transition she's doing great but now when they go to a birthday party or if they go to grandma's house and they offer them pizza or cake Mama allows them to do that, but they don't feel good afterwards. And you know, a couple of times of that and the child's like, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a, a really good example that it can be learned. And um, you know, and I think mom was super excited because that takes a lot of, you know, fear and burden off of her shoulders, thinking, How am I going to keep this kid from eating unhealthy foods? But let's say that you do have a kiddo that goes to like school or to parties and they and they do have this desire to consume these unhealthy foods and they're out of the house during that time, what do you do with this situation where they may be eating these foods outside of your controlled environment of what you allow in front of them?
1: Yeah, no, and that story that you told is perfect because that's exactly what I do with my family. And what I say in my book is that every family has to decide what works for them, okay? Because I know that there are some families that they feel a little bit stricter, they might be vegan, and that's really difficult for them, for the kid to eat any animal products outside the house. But one thing to understand is that once your kid goes to school, once they're spending time outside of the house, they're going to be exposed to these foods. Mm. So if we're super strict and we say, you can never have those foods, It has the opposite reaction because the Mm -hmm. human brain is like, I want what I've been told I cannot have, (laughs) you know? And so that's just the way it works, especially for children. So one of the ways to address it is just like you said before, the child has permission to make those choices when they're at birthday parties and the bake sales and the five bazillion celebrations that they have at school. But because you've trusted them, because you've given them that ability to tune into their bodies, they actually mm-hmm. do really well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It just really has to do with how you want to manage it in your family. And there's, there's not just an all or nothing approach too. You don't just have to say, well, they can just have whatever they want outside of the house. You can take mm-hmm. a stepwise approach. Like when my kids are, were really young, I would take alternative treats you know play foods to the classrooms so that when they had the like 50 million birthday parties I feel like it's every single day right then they could have their special thing and then as they got older first because I got busy you know and (laughs) second of all because I knew that that was no longer as acceptable to them to have a different sort of treat then they were allowed to make the choice if they wanted to or not and I find that if I give them that autonomy to do that they do really well and they do tune into their bodies. Sometimes mm. when I pick them up from school and they're like, yeah, I had a cupcake and, uh, you know, they, and uh-huh. they're able to see what happens because <laughs> our kids aren't going to live under our roof forever. They're going to have to go to uh-huh. college. They're going to have to go live their lives. Uh-huh. It makes me sad every but they have to. And because, (laughs) you know, they've had these years of practice with us where they've learned to trust themselves, they've learned to be confident around food, then Mm -hmm. we can feel better about how they're going to pursue their life, what kind of habits they're going to have when they're gone. Because when we demonize these foods, and we say you can never have that, then it becomes so alluring that they can't get in touch with how it makes them feel. They just are more Mm. focused on, I just need to get as much as I can of this right now because I know I'm not supposed to, and I know that it's bad or whatever.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, and this works well too for teenagers, right? So when I moved us literally overnight to a plant-based diet nine years ago, so the kids then were 13, 15, and 18. And um, in the home, I said, listen, There's no animal products here. Don't bring in, and we always said, you know, sodas and other things too that we didn't bring in the house. Like this is what we're eating, and so what we did is, I said, when we go out to eat, y'all order what you want, but we're at home. We're gonna eat this, (laughs) and that actually worked really well. It was very interesting to see over the course of a year and educating, but I was also educating about the foods, the health aspects, the impacts on their athletic activities. These are rational human beings. Teenagers are gonna make their own choices. My daughter went off to college. I had no control over that. But you know, when she came home, I'd educate. We'd go out to eat. They never really complained about that. Um, But what's funny is you'll see the kids over the course of the year, that first year, they started ordering tofu instead of chicken, you know, or something like that. You start seeing these, them making different choices. They ordered the veggie burger. Um, but now it's like, you know, they're 22, 24, 26. Like I said, I'm 27. Emily's graduating medical school in May. And I'm, oh they are literally whole food, plant-based eaters. They make better choices. They don't want to do oil. They don't want to, you know, might add a little salt here or whatever, but they also would, you know, maybe order Chipotle on occasion that they know mm-hmm. has a bit oil, but they also know they don't feel the greatest when they can eat a lot of it. But that choice that allowing that even in older kids, but if you're just, entering into it, like, let's talk about these foods and let's talk about your future and how they're going to do these things in your body. It makes a big difference. And I, I think it went fairly smoothly, at least from our side of it at home, <laughs> but, but yes. you know, I also raise them to like, you'll eat what you got. <laughs> so, yes. so they always felt that power. And yeah. no, I, I love that
1: approach. That's what I do in my house too, because I'm the main cook here. So like, this is what I'm Mm. cooking. And no, you know, my kids, we transitioned when they were younger, so they don't really Mm. have any desire to eat meat or anything like that. Mm. When they have their treats, it's mostly going to be like cake and cupcakes and those kinds of things at birthday parties. But one time my oldest son accidentally had a bite of hot dog that he thought was a veggie dog. Oh no. And it, I mean, I had to do like a full counseling session for this boy. Oh. Okay. He was so <laughs> devastated. It's like it's okay, it's okay, you didn't know. So I feel like that part they're pretty on board with. Yeah, but it's true because teenagers, they're in that developmental stage mm-hmm. where they want to exert their individuality. they're trying to figure out who they are. So we do have to be a little gentler. I think it's, it's perfectly fine to set loving limits, just like you did like mm-hmm. in this house, we're not going to have this, or if you even want to go a halfway approach for some parents, they just have like a little cabinet or a little shelf where they can mm. put their teen food or whatever. If <laughs> that's a choice that you can make too. But I think sure. also, especially if you have younger children in the house, you just don't want to have all that stuff on the counters, mm-hmm. because what we see affects our hunger, too, you know, so you just don't want to have a bunch of processed foods sitting around everywhere. So I think that's a totally reasonable approach, but it's almost like teens, it almost has to be their idea. <laughs> so you oh, kind of yeah. have to introduce it, definitely talk about it. And right. we know, like, it's undeniable the health benefits of eating more whole plant foods, but right. we also can't shame them about it. Right. So it's a very fine line. Like, we want you to feel good, we want you to perform well in your sports. But if you do choose to eat meat, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just Mm -hmm. tune into your body and see what happens, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And, well, I, you know, we, in the more recent years talking about the climate change and their future, Mm -hmm. their world. So I think it's really important too, for them to connect their choices, not only with food, but other choices with, you know, consequences for the future, for future generations, for themselves. Um, And so, you know we have some amazing conversations with these amazing adults that we've we've raised and i think it all started honestly because just allowing them to do that because i think i you know that being forced but i wish i'd understood that even more intuitively, I guess, you know, when they were younger about different things, not even necessarily food, but if you allow your child to do the play and the different things that, you know, instead of like, you can't go play, you can't go do that. Cause you're concerned. I, I see that yes. hoveringness and restriction. And, um, you know, when we were kids, we were, I don't know how we survived, honestly, but we imagined that we actually did, did some things that I was like, wow. Um, but you know, I always tell my, my husband was one of those ones. He's like, just go let them, do whatever they want. And mm-hmm. me, I was like the more like, I'm worried that they're going to get hurt. But what was funny was I always tell parents, I was like, listen, you have dads and that allowed dads to allow your children to try new things and explore the world. And your moms are the reason why they survive it. So. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So. And I think having a pediatrician mom is probably the worst of all because they're like no trampoline no pool you cannot climb that tree you know it's like you just oh, yeah. you just know all this stuff but it's true I mean the only way that they can learn how to move their body and learn how to trust themselves in their movement mm. is through the practice. And the only yeah. way to practice is to let them go out there and do that. But I understand right. as a physician, mom, <laughs> how you feel.
0: <laughs> well, there was a reason there was only one semester of football in seventh grade There oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and wrestling. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so for sure. So tell us, can you show us your book and where can yeah. we get it?
1: This is my book. It's so cute. Awesome. It's got little uh, tomatoes Aww. with Googly eyes. <laughs> I love the so, googly eyes. <laughs> it's called The Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating How to Raise Kids Who left to Eat Healthy. And you can find it on all major online booksellers. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that stuff. And a lot of uh, moms have been very successful in getting their local libraries to carry it too. So awesome. I'm very thankful about that. Um, I mean, you can also find out more about it on my website, dryami.com forward slash book. And that's spelled out D O C T O R Y A M I.com forward slash book.
0: Excellent. I think that's fabulous. And so any final advice for moms and dads who are raising plant-based eaters, even if it's outside of your book or anything else? Yes. My
1: main advice is to relax and have fun. I just want you to enjoy this journey, enjoy feeding your child, enjoy feeding yourself. I really think that food should be pleasurable. It shouldn't be as stressful as we're making it out to be. So do your best and know that your child thinks you're amazing. You're an amazing parent. Even all you could think about is all the mistakes you made. Don't think about that. Think about how you can proceed forward how you can have fun with it. And just like, you know, Dr. Marbus was talking about, have conversations with your child and, and just do your best and enjoy the journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the more you can get your kids involved in making the food, picking yes. out the food. Honestly, we've done this even before we went plant-based. would go pick out what fruit or veggie we had never tried. Like, this looks interesting. Let's learn about this. And actually that it encourages that exploration and curiosity. And curiosity is really important when it comes to mindfulness because you're curious about what's going on in your body. Allow your child to do that, not be ashamed about the curiosity, what's going on. So it's a superpower. So absolutely. But thank you, Dr. Yami, for all your amazing insight and wisdom and how we can raise our kids to have a healthy mindset and a healthy body. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It was super blast. Thank you. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go, though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos. On Monday, we upload the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. On Tuesdays, we upload the Doctors In. This is where I answer your questions. Thinking of that, could you please comment below any questions you might have about health or wellness or any topics that you would like me to cover? Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant based diet, sustain a plant based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out HealthyHumanRevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.